Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that is growing at only 0.2% in the last... Oh, hang on, that was that was GDP. I'm Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool. He is the ever-growing, hyper-growth, uh, moonshot, something, 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 managing director, founder, chief cook and bottle washer of strawman.com. He is, of course, Andrew Page. And our members, and this is like me to add, Esquire to that, so I shall. Andrew Ram Page Esquire is in the house. How are you, mate? I'm very good, very good. I do I do love me a moonshot. Um, <laughs> you do? They're always, oh, they're always fun. <laughs> when they happen. Uh, there, there is no, there's no 0.2% growth for you, mate, in, the, in, in your world. Uh, how, how has your week been? Yeah, my week's been pretty good. It's, um, it's Big news look- this week. It's a big news week. It is. There is actually. There's a, there's a bit sort of happening. Usually, mm. things start to really quieten down at this <laughs> time of the year, which, as I've said Usually, previously, yeah. is a good thing, right? Like mm-hmm. it's sometimes it's just it's too much, and you just not need to step away from it all. But yep, there's yeah. there's um, there's been a, some big news, so I'm, I'm keen to chat about it all. There has, mate. Um, the, the biggest news, of course, is uh, is this thing called strawman.com, and uh, and it's important for a whole lot of reasons, except those reasons are less clear until you know exactly what strawman.com is. So I, I won't ask you, but I'll give you the opportunity, should you choose to share it, just with our listeners, then we can move on from there. Uh, head to the website. It'll become, everything will become apparent and clear, strawman.com. <laughs> I did. Uh, one of our listeners, one rogue listener who shall remain nameless because I like him and you know, it'd be a shame for him to feel like I, didn't like him anymore because he somehow didn't appreciate my jokes. But one listener on Twitter this week did actually suggest that maybe the what is straw man joke has gone too far. I, I clearly the exception to the rule, and you know that's what that's what exceptions are. They just they, they prove the rule, and that's okay. Uh, but one one misguided listener out there. It's interesting, isn't it? Because we all see what we want to see in the dark. <laughs> Whether it whether it be a straw bias, poll baby. on Twitter or economic data, so <laughs> straw poll was that deliberate? Uh, no, it wasn't. But uh, I like it though. Straw that worked well. Yeah. It worked well. There yeah. Okay, <laughs> mate. Um, we got a lot going on this week. I got a massive amount of stuff for us to get through. Um, the big macro news, though, we should talk about two big things in two consecutive days. Tuesday this week, the RBA says nope, we'll leave rates on hold for another well, effectively two months, right? Because they're not meeting in January. I find, that hilarious. That, I find that hilarious, no, by the way. They're not meeting, I know. You know what's even worse? How is how, Rant time, tangent. How the hell does Jim Chalmers decide that eight meetings is better than 11? <laughs> in, in this world, so and I, I, know, I know your thoughts on reserve banking generally, and yeah. I, so I get it, but <laughs> assuming, let, let's, 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 let's accept the premise, for, at least for now. Uh-huh. In, this, in this world of 24-7 everythings and the ability to move rates by whatever you want, whenever you want, because why would you just limit yourself to some sort of arbitrary calendar? That's weird enough. Yeah. But then to do it less frequently, okay. which frankly, if you think you're in a hiking or a, or a dropping cycle like we are in now, yeah. it, it, it kind of makes them more likely to make bigger moves less frequently, which again, may not even be a bad thing, but they could do that already if they chose to. Yeah. I just, I don't get, I mean, I'm all for patient investing. I'm all for patient reserve banking, you know, but the idea of saying, actually, you guys should meet less frequently blows my mind. Me too. Me too. It's no coincidence too that it happens to be sort of like the holiday period. You know, it's just like life is good for a central banker. I, I feel it's yeah, like yeah, you know what yeah. we don't we don't yeah. work in January. It's like okay, yeah. good good work if you can mm-hmm. get it. Well, moving forward, even less. That's what I mean. It's just anyway. Yeah, but you're right. It's, it's, weird, it's weird you have January off, except that it would have made them more keenly aware of what they needed to do. Almost that my point then is mm. they're not meeting until February, so whatever they did on Tuesday was going to have to last them for two months, which yes. is not the biggest amount of time in the world. But two unemployment numbers, two inflation numbers, two what like you know the, the, we know for the past couple of months inflation fell this last month, which was great. But the two months before that went up and then up again. Mm. I mean, if that sort of thing was to happen in either direction in the next couple of months while they're, as you say, on their summer vacations in wherever central bankers holiday, probably, I don't know. Car- a caravan park in Kempsey, I'm, like- sure that's where, I'm sure that's where they go. <laughs> you know what? As much as you're being you're – much, I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm in two minds here. One is obviously they're very well paid, very oh, well yes. connected people. Oh, yes. On the other hand, I'm going I'm to lean deeply, deeply, deeply into the unfair stereotype here and say if you're, if you're a brown cardigan central banker – I don't. You maybe not going somewhere flashy. Maybe you are going to the caravan park in Kempsey. Maybe you're off to you know a, a nice little seaside quiet town somewhere for a you know a holiday unit and a uh, a, a cup of fish and chips on a Friday night. No, no chance. I, I actually I actually had a look, look at their a uh, couple of their annual reports earlier this year okay. just, just for fun as as you do. <laughs> 
And let's, you've got to get out more. Mate, Strawman needs more of your attention than it's getting if you're reading Reserve Bank annual reports <laughs> just quietly. It is a fascinating read. And all I'll say is the number, <laughs> level of staffing and and uh, oh, payroll yeah. has just yeah. been very strongly growing. It's I think it's a, there's actually a term for it called Simpson's Rule, I want to say, something like right. that. Where something like a bureaucracy will inev- inevitably grow, <laughs> well, well beyond uh, its its use and purpose, and and I think yeah. that might be a good example of that. But the top the top paying job is well, it's very 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 well paid. And yeah, a million bucks ish, I think. From yeah, is that right? yep, yep. And and uh, it was also interesting as well that the I think there was um with a lot of these sort of wage pressures, inflation yeah. pressures going on that uh, the the broader central bank staff <laughs> were advocating for a pay I rise did, as I well. I did say that. And it just, yeah. It's all, yeah. I don't know, ironic is might be the best yes. word for yes. it. But, yeah, it's it's interesting. There's, there's one of those quotes, something, something for thee, not for me, whatever that, yes, whatever that quote is. Yes, that's the one I'm thinking that, of, yes. It's very much that that feeling. Yeah. Um, uh, you know what, it's funny, so tangent on a tangent, um, We've we've ranted a lot about stage three tax cuts and other things. And when I do it on Twitter, I invariably get the people who say tax isn't the problem, spending's the problem. Mm-hmm. And they say, well, just cut some government, come cut, 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 cut some government weights. So we spit that out. Um, by the way, quick heads up: uh, in a week and a bit, you're going to hear me absolutely butcher a joke. Uh, we've pre-recorded that episode, so if, if you want to, <laughs> if you want to delight in me completely screwing up a joke, uh, keep listening. Is all I'll, I'll say. Um, but it's 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 one of those things, mate. When you think about the you know, I've worked for business. I worked for Heinz way back in the day, and they cut arbitrarily. And I hate the way businesses do this. Ten percent of the staff had to go in every every um, office around the world, like as if as if there's you know the same same okay. needs or the same waste everywhere. Yep. That said, we got rid of those people, and the business did not miss a beat. Yep. Did not miss a beat. And and I don't mean those people weren't important. I just mean that when you're forced to actually get rid of the make work and say, okay, we've got fewer people now. What do we do? What don't we do? I swear to God, and I, I, again, if there's former colleagues listening, um, it's absolutely not about you guys, um, but it literally was that like nothing changed and it was almost like, oh, wow, you know, we, we could have carried that cost forever. Yeah. Um, so I kind of, I'm in two minds, mate, because on one hand saying, oh, this government's the problem, cut waste, still very ideological and all very silly at some level. On another level, I can't bring myself to absolutely disagree with them because I, I do tend to think that, to your point about the RBA and others, and again, I know our, our public service work bloody hard and it's not a, not a, not a slight on any individual person, but- you know, again, if a bureaucracy was forced to cope with ten percent fewer people, I dare say there weren't wouldn't be that many. Again, not not every 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 office and every department and every whatever. But if you if you went across the board, someone who genuinely cared and genuinely wanted the best, but also wanted to make some savings, and went, okay, what are we doing? Where are we doing it? How can we make some savings? I would be staggered. So I, I kind of find myself, you know, their 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 response are generally completely ideological and and over the top. On the other hand, I can't dismiss it because I dare say there's also an element of truth to it. Yeah, and it's not a government. I don't want to make it a government thing. You no, know? no, no. Yeah, it's yeah. any large institution, mm-hmm. organization, yes. and it's yes. not. It's not a conspiracy. It's just mm-hmm. you know, I wouldn't mind a PA. I wouldn't mind yep. this yep. or that. It'd be nice if the team grew a bit. Like we all live in our own little bubbles. It's it's a very organic kind of yep. thing. But it does. This is why you when dealing with a random who will I pick on here Telstra. <laughs> it's a nightmare. No, yeah, no information. Yeah. Information doesn't travel upwards, right? And and so you 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 have yes. these incredible inefficiencies that sort of develop when you're dealing with a smaller company. Mm-hmm. It's things tend to happen a lot faster and a lot because it's just there's just less red tape and bureaucracy and frankly politics to sort of cut through. I don't know what the solution mm-hmm. is. I think you've before raised the. Was it the 3M model? 3M, yeah, it's great, isn't it? Lay, lay that out for me again. So I don't even know if it's still true, but when Good to Great was written, I'm pretty sure it was in Good to Great. I'm, oh, I, I, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. I, I don't want to – someone will correct me if I'm wrong. Um, basically, with 3M, as soon as, they, as soon as a business unit gets above 300 people, they break it up. Yeah. And it's, and it's just because that they, their view is that after that point, you know, the, the, the dominant view, we've talked a lot about economies of scale before. The dominant view is economies of scale matter. If you can centralise head office and finance and HR and mm. marketing and this and that, payroll and everything, centralise all these things, you get all these efficiencies. So you should, you should you know, build as big as you can and, then, and have these supporting functions. And 3M kind of went, actually, that might be true to some degree, but the diseconomies of scale that come from bureaucracy are, are, are far greater and far more- oh my um, gosh. 
yeah, <laughs> difficult to deal with. So they, they, they did, I don't know if they still do, they, did, they broke themselves up when they got to a certain size. They're right, you go now, now this business unit is now two pieces. Yeah. You go and maximize the returns from that. And it is just, I think, the smartest thing in the world. It's also, by the way, mate, just to take that, why I like founder led companies as an investor. We, we talked about this before and I said, you know, I don't want to have just one metric, but if I had to choose one, it'd be founder led companies yep. because you mentioned, you know, you'd like a PA. Now you're you're a you're a very sensible, smart bloke. You you care about your employer's money if you're working for someone else. Mm. But when you're paying your own bills, the idea of having hiring a PA for, you know, I don't know what they get paid these days, 85, mm. 90 grand, whatever a PA gets, um, you know, it, you're going to say, well, hang on, that comes out of my pocket. Mm-hmm. Now, as soon as straw man becomes a, a massive billion-dollar listed corporation <laughs> and, he's and someone sells, you, you say to the, the board directors, look, uh, business is growing okay. Uh, I, I think I could really I could really actually – if we had more marketing, people, we'd probably grow this business. Mm-hmm. And if we had more sales, we could probably and, – and in fact, because it's now so busy, if I had a PA, I could probably be more effective. Mm-hmm. And so you're right. No, no one does it deliberately to say, I'm going to waste the company's money. But – when it's someone else's money, it's very easy to justify those things when you don't have to pay the bill. I do wonder if managers were told, you can have half yourself of any salary you save in your team. Now what do you want to do? Yeah. I think there'll be very, very different outcomes. Oh, Again, very, nothing, yes. Yep. There's, nothing, there's nothing insidious. Oh, it's insidious. There's nothing deliberate about it, but that insidiousness of it's not my money so I can justify it is everywhere, oh, absolutely everywhere. It, it, I can tell you as a small business dealing with several large businesses, so we, we have <laughs> oh, a – I won't name names. Maybe I will. No, maybe I won't. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't need, I don't need that grief, but some very large <laughs> international data providers. One, <laughs> one, one in particular that, 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 exactly. may, that may have been, you know, fundamentally responsible for the GFC – uh, anyway, you can buy data off them for egregious <laughs> prices. There's always holes in it, right? You say, but yeah. you, you you send an email, three days later you get a response, which is the generic, have you tried turning it off and on again? <laughs> you fight it up. You're like, six Probably weeks later, yours. the yeah. problem just yeah. like resolves, but the people you're yeah. dealing with are still don't even, aren't even aware that it's resolved. And it's like, it's not hard. It's not hard. I will say this though. Uh, this is probably not something mm. to admit on a, on a public podcast, but they have this bounty Programs. Oh, yeah. They give you a $50 Amazon gift card if you find a hole hey, in nice. the data. It has paid for a good deal of Christmas this year. Right? <laughs> and again, the person, because I just push it. It's like, where's my where's yeah. my gift card? You know, I found this. Yeah. Oh, they're like at the end, they just want to get rid of me, right? So you okay. have yeah. you have like the 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 amount of inefficiency in the system. The organization yeah. is paying a lot of people a lot of money in aggregate. To do nothing, like to, yeah. because because no, nothing is being solved or fixed here mm-hmm. with with the people that I'm dealing. It it is it is so so maddening. Um, I could tell you another. There's, there's one with our, our mail provider. It just it is yeah. you just sit there tearing your hair out. And and the thing is, it's hard to get too frustrated and angry with the person because they've not been right. in, they've not been empowered. Yes, they've, they've got some poor bugger from the Philippines or something who's been, you know, paid peanuts. Here you go. You take the calls, but we're not going to equip you to solve any problems. Don't turn it off and on again. Tell them they can send us an email and we might get to it in a couple of days. Yeah. Which I wonder is sort of like, is it really that cheap? If, it, if you're actually not doing, yeah. you know, it, it is yeah. it is crazy. So anyway, I don't know how we got onto this ramp, but it does it no, does drive know, me a bit, in, a bit insane. I don't blame you. I think I've said before, but I have the same issue with insurers. When everything works, they, they design for efficiency for the 99%. And frankly, yeah. here's, the, here's the thing, right? For a long time, it's actually really good business. Mm-hmm. Now we'll get, to, we'll get to a business later, hopefully, where where- that provides opportunities for disruptors. And think about Aussie Broadband, for example, versus Telstra. Yes, and I own Telstra shares for great reasons. Um, now, I'm not even entirely. I think I said this before. I'm not even entirely sure Telstra's doing the wrong thing. Still, if you if you can seed five, seven, eight percent market share, not just from you, but from you and your competitors to another to another incumbent, and still protect your profit margins, yeah, it's probably cheaper to do that than actually try and fight them on price because you have to give 100 percent of your customers a better deal, yeah. or you give 92% of your customers the same old deal and you lose 8% of them. Yes. And it's like, well, there is some, there's some very real, very kind of cynical maths behind that, which is, you know, do I need to be the best service provider? Where's the ROI on whatever additional service I might provide? My insurer has been woefully bad, mm. woefully bad. Mm. I've spent, I've, I'm still not quite, I'm almost, almost there, literally almost there, right? Might make it by Christmas. Mm. Um, they've been woefully bad, but do they care? And same, same problem. I can't yell the person on the phone or via email. And they're not going to pass it to their boss. And if their boss gets it, they're not going to pass it to their boss and nothing's going to change. So, you know, for, for a long time, that's okay until it's not again. Yes. And, and that's when disruption really does start to rear its ugly head. I often think, I mean, uh, great Charlie Munger quote I'm very fond of is, you know, show me the incentive and I'll show you the outcome. Yeah. A lot of the people that you're dealing with, it's kind of like within their, look mm-hmm. at things through their lens, sort of like, well, I could fight the internal fight 
to push yes. push up through the ranks and, and make sure that it gets heard and addressed. But yeah. but they don't get extra pay for that. In fact, right. it's a negative for them because they're a bit of a troublemaker <laughs> and, you know, it's just like, mate, just deal with it. And, well, I can't yeah. deal. That's why I need you. Just, yeah. I just want you to go away. So it's easier just to so go, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah, you know, and it, it, it's it's incredibly frustrating, but I get it. I, I totally yeah. get why why you would sort of um, act that way. I, I tend to think it gets to a point where it's like the best solution is to just tear it all down and build it up again. It almost well, can't be fixed yeah. by tweaks, you know? That's how Aussie Broadband and others cup, yeah, are going to do Some Someone will revolutionise insurance at some point yeah. where they literally start from scratch, build a brand and go, hey, here's this cool thing. Yes. Not, not even, and this is the other thing, by the way. The insurance business is, yes, it's underwriting, but it's not. they, they reinsure so much losses anyway. Yes. Yeah, they do the underwriting, they do the branding. That's pretty much it. I mean, you've only got to find a you know half-decent set of actuaries. I, I know that like it's they're off a the shelf, they're not. But, yeah. you know, the underwriting is pretty simple. If you can just simply regenerate or recreate that ground up, you know, approach. It, you're you're in a pretty good place. It's, you know, it makes a whole lot of, yeah. whole lot of sense. I, I, I hey, feel mate, as I though in a lot of in, I know we're so way off our, our agenda here. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but, but we were way off about three tangents we ago. I have no idea where we are. Tangent yet. on a tangent on a um, uh, on a tangent. And um, yet. yeah, it, it's 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 one of these issues that mm. that is so pernicious and so damaging. I I, mm. I, I also think that you you have a, a scenario where. I would say that the natural check and balance here is capitalism, free markets, mm. open yes, markets. Yes. So in other words, you've got these big bloated organisations really providing terrible customer service. Mm-hmm. If there's someone, a, 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 a challenger brand over there that's going to be, wow, it's cheaper, it's faster, it's better, I'm just going to move over there. The reason yeah. it doesn't happen and again, this isn't like a grand conspiracy that's been designed this way, but you you tend to have this thing called regulatory capture. And so what you have is you know, the banks are a classic example, right? Insurers, I think, think of the same too. You get very, 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 very large. You have a yeah. lot of political sway. Um, uh, something bad happens in the industry. You say, we need to be regulated. Yes. And who's going to argue against that? It's like, yeah, you've been charging dead people. You've right. been all these egregious <laughs> things. Like, yes, you need to be regulated. So we're going to do this. We're going to require that. Uh, we're going to make sure there's licensing. And, and they all be, you and I know this, right? Because we've, yeah. we've got the accreditation, the AF, uh, what's it, the uh, RG146 compliance. You know, yes, it's a, yes, you, yes. if you can fog a mirror, you can pass the test, mm-hmm. right? It's sort of like, is. Is regulation a good idea? Yeah, absolutely. You don't want free-for-all, laissez-faire kind of stuff going on out there. But mm. the regulation becomes pretty ineffective and the costs of compliance are substantial. I face this directly where yeah. it's kind of like the bank, the, the incumbents love it because they can say, hey, look, we're regulated, but the costs of regulation and licensing are so exorbitant that what it actually does is create a moat around your business yeah, so you can yeah. stay fat, you can stay lazy. The lean, edgy startup in, in the garage just mm. doesn't have the capital base to, to compete against that. So it just becomes – I mean, this is, this is why we should have portable bank accounts. This is why we should absolutely have regulation in banking, but just get rid of a lot of the red tape, reduce the cost meaningfully. You want, as a government, I would argue, to make mm. – to, to foster – competition as best you can and that is where the consumer wins right it's it's it, that is what is the the cure against these these issues mm. that we're talking about um but it's a very it's a very difficult one though because it feels at first that you're saying oh what so we shouldn't be regulated oh what so we you know we, we shouldn't have checks and balances like no we, we should but we we want to make sure that they are there but not to a degree that all it really does is stop new entrants coming in because that all all that protects are these people who are who are, who are delivering very poor service and product quality in the first place. Yep, absolutely, mate. Hey, um, we did start that that tangent upon a tangent on a pa- tangent all the way back. Look, I have the agenda in front of me. Oh, God knows where we'd finish up. We started about G, uh, interest rates oh, yes. and interest rate decision on, on Tuesday. Yes, all that time ago, <laughs> uh, if I listen to remember back in the dim, dark past, that's where we were at one point. Um, so I do want to bring us back there, mate, um, because and I, speaking of stupidity about bureaucracy, um, 
I will never understand why the RBA chooses to meet and hand out a decision one day before the GDP numbers are released. I mean, you have to put a line somewhere, yeah. but the quarterly numbers that tell us how the Australian economy is operating in general, and again, I will, I will continue to put in parentheses, I know your view on general, central banking in general, but if you're going to do it, do it the day before the GDP numbers come out. It's just, Good a, it happens all the time, boggles my yeah. mind. Anyway, um, so that rates on hold, uh, RBA basically saying that, and this is, I thought it was interesting in the minutes, mate, they basically said, well, the statement, they basically said inflation was as expected. Mm-hmm. And my sense is now that that's really, they have a glide path in their minds of, of sorry, horrible, horrible term, they don't have you know, the shape of the curve, right? As, uh, they expect inflation to fall at a certain rate within some sort of constraints. And as long as it does that, they're okay. Yeah. Well, they that's say mid-2025 mid or late 2025. Late 2025 is when, now, yeah. yeah. When, when you're yeah. getting your forecast that far out, it's just like- I know, Seriously? I know. But I mean, what I mean is, but right now, the, the level it's at right now, they're comfortable with to get us, get them where they think they need to go, sure. which is why they didn't put rates up, which, you know, makes makes perfect sense, actually, if that's if that's your view, that's what you would do, right? We, we're going to get there based on what we're currently doing. We still don't need to do anything extra, more or less. We're going to just yeah. let things play out. Makes makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah. Um, the GDP numbers, mate, were ugly. I'm, I've, I've been talking on radio and, and media for a couple of days and- I kind of I'm an optimist by nature, right? I, I feel almost apologetic when I say it. It was like there's nothing, there's nothing good in these numbers. No. Uh, GDP growth of zero point two percent, so barely zero. Now, it's sample data, so it's possible it's worse. Also possible it's better. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's likely to be negative, but mm-hmm. sure. we're not miles away from you know a, a negative GDP growth. In which case, two in a row would be technically allegedly a recession, or the, the uh, definition that econocrats use um, a recession. So you know we're not we're not miles away from that. Uh, the bit that really stuck out to me, mate, was the national savings number. Did you said it was 1.1% of income. Oh now, goodness. we need to be careful to define our terms here. That's not that we have 1.1% of income saved. It's that for every time we get paid, for every $100 we as a community are getting paid, we're saving $1.10 of that. Now, you should expect us to save money over time because, you know, you want to put – every time you get paid, you want to put something aside. Yep. It's not to say we don't have savings, uh, but it does talk to the – growth or otherwise of our savings pool. And 1.1% nationally, it's an average, not, it's not a median, so it's not the middle mm. point, but it is the average. Mm. If it's 1.1% average, someone saving 3, 5, 7, 10% of their income, that means someone or more than someone is you know, putting money on the never-never. They're putting on the credit card, the buy now, pay later, the personal loans, the whatevers, just to get the bills paid. And yeah. I think that's that's the starkest number. I mean, 0.2% growth is awful. The other thing, by the way, was, wasn't in the numbers it should have been is the per capita. GDP growth, which is the one. If I if I could change one thing, I'll change more than that. If I change one thing about the way we talk about statistics as a country, I would do it on a per person basis um, because you cover a whole lot of cracks with immigration, right? So population growth basically is responsible for us to having a positive GDP number, but per person, the pie is growing very slightly and the the pieces are getting smaller. Yeah, we, and so that's I, you know that that those two things that the savings rate and the per capita result. Are very very ugly. I want to say this was the third quarter in a row of negative per capita um, GDP. So yes, it's 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 a negative growth. It's a recession. Negative GDP, obviously. Yeah, uh, but pretty ugly overall, right? Yeah, I, I saw someone on Twitter. I'm going to forget now who said this. So apologies for not giving the, the um, attribution, but it was it was sort of like Australia, okay, you recession. You know? <laughs> yeah, nice. so which which I thought was really nice because that is absolutely what it is. You know, Australia not in recession. You yes, you are in a recession um, mm-hmm. again on 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 average. So I mean that that was yeah that was very interesting. The the other thing that was really interesting is that living standards as measured by real per capita household income. So take the whole household. How much is it yeah. earning after inflation? We are where we were thirteen years ago. Mm-hmm. 15 years ago, if you include GFC stimulus payments. In other words- This is the Ben, the ben Phillips tweet from ANU? Uh, yes, I believe it was. Yes, yes, it yeah. is. Yes, exactly yeah. that. Um, yeah, that was a really, really- I, I, I tweeted this. If you only see one graph, look at this one because this is the one that matters. Tell us why. Well, well <laughs> I mean, we, we are- we love, we love getting more pay each week. You know, who, who doesn't? Um, but it's not it's it's arbitrary really what matters is again i've made this point before but i'll 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 flog this horse again what really matters whatever whether i'm using a seashell or an abacus or whatever here is how many hours do i have to work mm-hmm. do i have to expend energy and effort to get mm-hmm. the things that i want 
Then on on that metric, which is the only metric that matters, I mean, you, <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, go to Zimbabwe if you want a yeah. really high number in your in your bank account. Um, is that that I've had to I have to work much more. In fact, than 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 I did in recent recent times to get the same amount of stuff. In fact, over the last thirteen to fifteen years, I've I'm I've gone nowhere. Into, and you would imagine with all the increase in, in technology, potentially with what productivity that should bring about, you know, mm. uh, it's, it's, it's we're saving less, we're earning less, yep. we're making less per person as a country. Like all of these things are going absolutely in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll actually say here, despite my criticisms of, of the central bank, that they were probably right to pause and in mm-hmm. fact, mate, I think you and I, I'm going to do a victory lap here. I reckon you and I called this right at the start <laughs> of the year because the, the, we both said that inflation, remember, like, again, it feels like ancient history. Inflation was <laughs> diabolical, yeah. right? And yeah. so, yeah, they're going to they're gonna do what they, what all of the central banks around the world have to do to sort of fight it. And again, that's a whole other topic. That's what they think they mm-hmm. have to do and that's what they do. But they will hit a point where even if inflation is still, is, is still around. And let's not forget here, I want to make this point as well. Yes, inflation has come down, but that that what that says is the rate yes, of increase right, yeah. in prices is slowing, but yep. prices are still going up. They're still going up close enough to 5% per annum, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which, which compounds really aggressively against you. And that's why real um, per capita household income is, has, has been going down. Mm-hmm. But do you see what I'm saying here? It's like this is hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. This is not a this is not a good set of numbers. I don't I don't know. Um, the, the 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 RBA gets to a point where it's mm. kind of like we can't increase interest yeah. rates. There's not so much more we can do. Yeah. What about inflation? Well, yeah. okay. Here's your here's your mm. choice. We'll put up interest rates even more. We'll crush yep. inflation, but in winning that battle, we've mm-hmm. decimated the economy. We've right. we've we've collapsed the Australian property market, which again is I know it's the big two thousand pound gorilla in the room, mm-hmm. and we said we said they will hit a point where they they will have to roll because it it, it is a lesser of of two evils outcome, and I think we're there, and we're already seeing the bond market reflect this. We're seeing a lot of the boffins say this is that this is it. Maybe another maybe another rise, maybe one more quarter of a percent rise, but that's mm-hmm. it. And I think I, I still stand by that. I and I I think I think that's a very safe bet, even if inflation runs hotter for longer. In fact, I probably wouldn't mind if inflation runs hotter for longer if I'm in power because it helps sort of reduce some of these debt burdens. Um, or am I being too cynical? Um, I think I don't think you're being too cynical at all. I think the RBA. Look, well. I don't repeat myself, but I will very briefly, which is to say, firstly, the RBA is doing what it feels like it has to do because the government's not doing anything. Yep. And that 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 is the fundamental starting point of why rates are where they are right now. Rates would have to go up because it's an important part of the policy toolkit and foreign exchange rates matter. And if we had rates of 0.1% still, now we shouldn't have got that low in the first place. So you can kind of, the starting point is also challenging. Uh, if we had 0.1% rates right now uh, and, and, and a much better fiscal policy, we'd have other problems. A combination of good fiscal policy and good monetary policy would mean rates would be lower and we'd have the same impact on demand, aggregate demand, probably a fairer way, by the way, and so you'd be in a better position. I will say, and I have said before, I I am not – we shouldn't – I don't think we should believe you. I think you might disagree with this. I don't think we should believe the RBA will save the economy from recession at the expense of inflation. I actually think it's far more likely the reverse. We saw during this is not say it will happen again. We saw during the early eighties. I mentioned this before. Paul Volcker, the then U.S. Fed chair, put up rates, caused a recession, and then put up rates during that recession mm. because he believed, I think correctly actually, that inflation is a far bigger scourge than our interest rates. Mm. And so he said, okay, I need to kill inflation. We've just talked about the graph from Ben Phillips, the fifteen years of effectively nothing while we, you know, got got smashed by inflation. Um, so I, I'm not convinced the RBA will actually. Uh, will try to avoid a recession if the if the cost is higher inflation. Now, the polys may prefer that higher inflation, frankly, which may actually be, as you said, why well, they maybe haven't acted so quickly. But to the extent the RBA is independent, and I actually believe it is, maybe I'm being too Pollyanna, but I think, I think Michelle Bullock's shown herself already to be mm. pretty, pretty much an independent thinker given Jim Chalmers' dissatisfaction with what she said. Um, I, 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 I think 
I'm not I'm not as cynical as you. I don't think in that sense, but I do think they will risk a recession to kill inflation. That being said, they will also realise that there's a recession and then there is just smashing businesses and households unreasonably to a, to a yes. too significant extent. And they, you know, I'm not saying they will. The board has said they will do what's necessary to return inflation. Mm. They've been very, very, very clear. The board is resolute. I think is the way that sentence starts. At the end of every RBA statement for months and months and years. I think that I think that's true. They believe it. I do think at some point where they say, "All right, now we've got a balancing act like they did this week." Hey, how much is too much? Where do we draw the line? Mm. I, I'm. I would also think they will err on the side of hoping they've done enough rather than making sure they've done enough. And that's. I think. I would say that sentence is probably exactly why they didn't raise rates earlier this week. Isn't it true too that they don't have financial stability as part of their core mandate anymore? <sighs> this is. Uh, let me rant further. They do. They don't because APRA is now responsible for that bit. Okay. So the Australian Prudential Regulatory Authority. I would. I would smash the two back together. The, God love bureaucrats and to your point and politicians. APRA, the, the banking regulator, effectively the financial stability regulator, was spun out of the RBA mm. as its own agency. Mm. Uh, I don't know how many years ago, but enough years ago that it was long enough ago. I think was a huge, huge, huge mistake. Um, and we've seen that. We, we saw APRA lower the lending buffer during, you know, when rates were already tiny. <laughs> right, talk about APRA it. lowered the buffer. Talk to, about to a known goal. Like- right? And and by the way, allegedly, I believe that, that they were instructed to do so or encouraged to do so other than Treasurer Josh Frydenberg. Now, that may not be true. Cal- it's not true. Cal- I apologize Cal- to Josh shots. in advance. Yes. Well, here's the thing, right? So once you say, hey, the RBA is independent, but APRA is not. APRA does what the Treasurer tells them to do. And once you say, well, okay, now if you're Treasurer, what rules do you play by? You avoid compromising the RBA because that's political suicide. But if you lend on, lend on APRA, you might just do that. Um, so you're right. The RBA doesn't have financial stability as a, as a key metric. I would I would put the two back together. I think it was madness to separate it. The Reserve Bank, it literally, you've said many, many times the way the bank works in terms of, you know, it, it's literally taking deposits from and charging interest to those banks uh, to say, well, let the get the prudential regulation sit off to the side. I think I think it's, it's madness, frankly. Yeah. So if, if that's not – so my – I've got um, mandates that I have to sort of try and achieve and stability is <laughs> yep. not one of them anymore. Correct, correct. Inflation is is absolutely yes. one of them. Yes, So and the key one. Yeah, yep. so maybe maybe I am more inclined to um, really cause havoc uh, out there than I otherwise would have because when mm. I'm also – I'm worried about inflation but also stability, I'd imagine yeah. that might stay in my hand. I think the other thing that's a little bit different, I was going to make a, a comment on, on what you said about Volcker, who absolutely mm. did the right thing, I think. But he was in a, he was in a world where there wasn't much. I think G, debt to GDP was 30% or something. Yeah, right. It's 120 yeah, yeah. or 130% yeah. or something at the moment. Yep. So it's, that's also very I, – I, my thinking, and this is subject mm-hmm. to change because it's a very <laughs> difficult subject, but is that they just – can't because by increasing interest rates, the debt servicing costs for the US government, the largest <laughs> economy in the world, is untenable. It, yeah. it just compounds. We talk about compounding a lot here. It's just sort of like it's it's like it is the classic credit card debt spiral where I mm-hmm. can't meet my interest payments, so I borrow to pay my interest payments, and that compounds. Yes, and that, yes. that is, by the way, that is happening now, right? So it's sort of that's a particularly because we live in an interconnected world, and the RBA <laughs> cannot ignore what is happening in the world's largest Correct. economy. Yeah. You have a you have a scenario where, again, mm. my view is we will see interest rates roll because mathematically it has to because it, it's yeah. going to bankrupt the U.S. government, which is already living well, not a little bit beyond its means well beyond it and is now getting involved in multiple wars. Even, even this week, you know, who was it? Um, oh, it might've been Bernie Sanders or someone came with, we, we can't fund this. How are we, how are we funding buying more weapons for Ukraine? Like this is expensive, expensive stuff. And so they, I, I, again, my, my view remains and has been for a while, they will roll and that we will cop the, not necessarily. I think we are past the peak of inflation. Let me say that clearly. Yeah, yeah. But but that it'll it'll take a it'll take a. Here's two possibilities. It'll either take a while for inflation to come under control, mm. um, because they just they can't put rates to where they potentially need to be, or inflation yeah. is resolved, but by virtue of a crippling and what they what you uh, here termed as a hard landing. So mm. a not just a little bit of a slowdown, but a 
I don't want to use the word crash, but you know, a, a much you know, we're talking unemployment going up significantly. And that is something that I think everyone is very worried about rightly because that that the contagion that happens in those scenarios because when when people lose an income then it's not a question of whether I how much you know can I can I shoulder in terms of um, <laughs> paying the mortgage we've yeah. seen household yeah. saving ratio is non-existent household savings period are in falling we built up a lot in the in in COVID and that's been falling precipitously too we have been living on borrowed time and now now I am a forced seller which pushes prices down a little bit, which forces other people to. So things can run away very quickly. So you are having to navigate a very difficult path here and and walk an extremely fine line. So I actually think, despite all my my reservations about you know the, the way the system kind of works, Bullock was right to not increase interest rates as much as I. I've, personally, I'm I'm looking to buy a house, right? But but me and the wife were like, please go up, please go up, please go up. Uh, (laughs) Even though that would mean, well, doesn't that mean that you're going to be paying higher? Yeah, but on aggregate, I think it might be actually, I'd rather pay a higher interest rate on a lower loan. And the rate will come back down again, which is, and that's the other thing about about why interest rates are more, probably better to favour uh, increasing rates over letting inflation continue is because you bring the rates back down at some point. As you've mm-hmm. said many times, yep. inflation never comes back down. Never the, the rate never. might the rate might fall, yep. but the prices stay high. So you you literally ratchet up. You don't you don't ratchet up rates, but you do ratchet up prices. That's why inflation is so insidious because there is no you know rates are the inflation rate might be cyclical. As the interest rate is cyclical, the problem is that the interest rate doesn't doesn't rely on a, a ratcheted base, whereas pricing just goes up and up and up and never comes back down. Yep. And the other the other potential um, issue to worry about is negative real rates. That is, interest rates below the rate of in sorry the the inflation rate greater than the interest rate kind of thing. So it's sort of like that that is a situation which can be very. Uh, I, I, again, cynically, you might say it is desirable from a certain <laughs> standpoint. Yeah. Um, I don't even. I'm trying to think where to go with this because it, it's a it's a deep rabbit hole, and maybe it's best not to to set foot down that path. But negative rates, negative real rates, can be their own kind of problem. Do you have any thoughts on that, or is that is that best left aside for another episode? No, I think. Well, I think almost. By definition, when when rates were low, it's a bit like so share prices. If you have a a growth rate that's greater than the discount rate, if and you do a discounted cash flow, you can literally pay an infinite price for shares, mm. or you get an infinite valuation yes. for shares because the growth is always going to outpace the discount rate. And if that's the case, then there is no price too high to pay, right. and there's no valuation. You know, and the same is true when, as you say, when when you end up with a situation where inflation is higher than rates, it just, it just creates that problem of. Of you know you, you can effectively borrow in 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 real terms and pay back in nominal terms, which which you're means kind of getting paid to borrow as, money, right? As long as you can deliver those same gains in your own business at a profit line, which is not always that easy. And this is where the whole thing is yeah. not as easy as saying, well, one is higher than the other, therefore it's always good. Yeah. That marginal lending is the same thing, right? If I could borrow six percent and get ten percent, would I be okay? Sure. Mm. But what if you don't? Yeah. Well, then the whole thing breaks down. Yeah. So you're right. It, it's 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 its own issue. I, I will I will move us on, Matt, though, if it's okay, because we've um, spent yeah. a bit of time on this one and we're we're meaningfully through the through the pod. Yeah. I do want to talk about the other bit of news which broke after we recorded last week's episode. And that was the death of Charlie Munger. Uh, yeah. which we hadn't had a chance to comment on at the time. Uh, Charlie, of course, Warren Buffett's right-hand man, died at 99.8, I think, or something like that. He was about five weeks short of his 100th birthday, uh, which knowing Charlie would not have cared about at all because he's not the sort of guy. Um, but a really, really, really significant loss, mate, I think, for um, for the investment community. The great thing about Charlie is that, like Warren, he spent a lot of time writing, talking, thinking, uh, expressing himself. So we have plenty of great Charlie Munger uh, anecdotes and, and and quotes to kind of go from and to, to keep us post uh, post his departure from this mortal coil. Um, for those who don't know, so Warren Buffett run Berkshire Hathaway for oh, getting close to 60 years now. Charlie Munger, I think, was with him for almost all of that time. He's been Berkshire Hathaway's vice chairman uh, for almost all of that time. Uh, the two spoke apparently almost daily and, uh, you know, were, were – 
not two sides of the same coin in, in some senses, uh, very different characters. Uh, Charlie, a Republican, Warren, a Democrat. Uh, Warren, the more genial, um, you know, folksy guy. Munger, the more acerbic, cut straight to the point, you know, take no prisoners kind of guy. Um, incredibly smart, uh, polymath, uh, trained lawyer, uh, made his fortune in real estate investing, then joined Berkshire, uh, a, a multi-billionaire in his own right, uh, much much less wealthy than Buffett because he gave a lot of it away a lot earlier and didn't compound it the same way Warren did. Um, but a, a remarkable, remarkable man. I'm going to share a couple of quotes, mate. We might we might do a little bit more on Charlie, but I just, I'll share a couple of can, a couple. Can of I start with one? Because you, oh, please, go on. You, yeah. you, you, I saw it. I hadn't heard this. I thought I'd heard them all. I hadn't heard this one. Okay. And it, it relates to what you were saying with him being a, a Republican versus yeah, yeah. Um, Buffett being a Democrat. He's, he was asked about uh, – uh, politics, and he said, "I don't like left wing woke, and I don't like right wing nutcase either. I'm an equal opportunity hater of political orthodoxy, <laughs> and I loved that. Isn't that great? Because Isn't that there's, great? There's, there's, there's labor, Republican, Democrat. There's a, there's a mm. lot of heavy lifting those labels kind of do, but I think that yep. belies Charlie's more pragmatic, <laughs> practical kind of way of thinking, which is like, yep. look, if you're going to put a label, yes, it's probably a Republican, yeah. but I don't, you know, yes. I'm not a right wing nutcase either here. And yep. Yep. he was very critical." A lot of the things that you know of Trump and you know, so he was he was yeah. a he was very much a free thinker, and I, I thought that, was, that's a good quote was. to start. And one of those people like uh, like Buffett, who, um, despite their fortunes made as as capitalists. Um, also very clear about the excesses of business and some of the ridiculous behaviours that happened in, in corporate boardrooms, in investment, yep. uh, you know, areas in business itself. Um, just that, just that kind of idea that uh, there's more. You know, the, the, yeah, the quote you gave is a perfect one, which is basically that that extreme idea of you don't have to be all in on this or yep. you know, a, a thoughtless defender of a particular ideology just because you consider yourself a capitalist doesn't mean everything capitalism stands for is right or everything everything that a capitalist does is right. Yes. Um, and similarly, on the other side, you know, depending on where you, where you stand, there are there's much more value in recognizing the positives and negatives of any particular uh, political stance. Um, but yeah, I think that's you know that's that's absolutely absolutely the case. Mm. Uh, interestingly enough, too, mate, just uh, we, we might do a, we might do a separate episode on Charlie and some of his thoughts. But one of the things I did like about Charlie, I've always stuck in my mind, is they talked about uh, fossil fuel extraction, mm-hmm. and Warren Warren's spoken much more strongly about climate change. Actually, I think Charlie was kind of a bit of a "we'll find a way to fix it" mm-hmm. kind of guy, mm-hmm. rather than a "let's stop doing it" kind of guy. And that's that's their own views. What what was fascinating about Charlie Munger though, he had a very specific view about not mining or not drilling for too much oil uh, in in the US. And this is just worth thinking this through, right? So I'm I'm a big fan of increased resource royalties. So you might think I'd I'd agree with Charlie here and I do. Um, Munger's point was we shouldn't drill all this oil because at some point in the future, it's going to be much more expensive, much more valuable. And it was just it was just literally a case of if we keep the thing, if we don't need the thing right now, and you can keep it until it becomes scarcer and more valuable, then it'd be in your best interest to do so. Interesting. And I just thought, you know, if you think about a country or a company uh, where it's the short term, let's just get it out of the ground now, sell it now, make a couple of dollars now, and let the future look after itself. Munger had literally done mentally that the, the kind of you know discounted cash flow, the net present value, and said, so hang on, we don't need this yet, and at some point when someone else wants it from us. We can charge a higher price once once the Middle East is out of oil, once whatever is out of oil, once the cost of it of drilling gets more expensive. We're going to have all this stuff. And we can sell it to them then, and and just that, just think through that idea. It's not. Some people will be like, obviously. Other people are like that sounds weird. But if you really think that through, just that idea of could we exploit it now? Yeah, it's why it's why you know I'm a I'm a fan of higher resource rents for exactly the same reason. Someone will say, yeah, but when the price drops, that we are unprofitable to mine it, won't it? It's like yeah. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Because mm. then, when it's more profitable to mine it again, the Australian taxpayer gets more per ounce, per ton, per barrel, per whatever. That's exactly what you want, right? Doing it's like insurance companies writing writing policies just because you're supposed to write them when the when the pricing's bad, when it's unprofitable to do so. The, the insurance company should stop dead. I'm not going to write that policy. I can't make any money. But no one does because they all feel like they should keep doing it because yeah. that's what they're supposed to keep doing. Same with digging and drilling. Yeah. Which mining company says, "Yeah, we're going to shut that operation for a couple of years. We'll wait till the iron ore price goes back up." Mm-hmm. It, yeah, people lose their collective. That's exactly what you should do. Yeah. You wait for the better pricing. You say, I'm going to absolutely go nuts when the pricing's higher. My shareholders, if this was a private company, if you and I owned all the oil in, in Australia, would you drill it at $40 a barrel? No, of course no. you wouldn't. You wait till it's $80 a barrel and do it then. Yeah. But uh, but that's it, I just I just liked 
again, I don't want to kind of, it's about fossil fuels and climate change and it gets a bit emotive at some point. I just like that concept of Munger saying, don't do it, not necessarily because, well, not at all because it could be bad for the environment, but we'll get more for it later. And if you owned it and you cared about the present value of that, you'd say, no, it's worth me waiting. Yep. The one, the one wrinkle in that is mm. there is the threat of disruption in the sense yes, that we, we have the, the renewables come down the cost curve, we crack fusion, uh, fission becomes more accepted. You know what? So it, it becomes yeah, a yeah, stranded totally. resource. So it's like yeah. we're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. Ah, now let's use it. Like, well, no one wants it anymore. We don't need it. Yeah. The world's moved on. Yeah. Which, 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 you know, may, maybe, and I, I think that's what, a long way off. So it's probably yeah. it's a safe bet. But no, it's a fair. It's a, no, it's fair. Exactly. That's the right. It's the right counterpoint to that. Yeah. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Hey, um, <laughs> speaking of speaking of Charlie Munger and, and rants, um, we are we are well and truly slap bang in the middle of prediction season. Oh, predictions! And I had season. a I had, I had a big rant on this. Uh, if uh, for the listeners who are who get our our mailing list or, or have seen the website or follow me on Facebook, do have seen this article. Um, and it wasn't to take any particular predictor or pundit to task. We've talked a lot about predictions before, mate, but I just thought it was worth raising because I'm already now seeing the next year. You know, what's going to happen next year? Um, I do uh. a I do a radio spot on on 2GB and uh, I think it's 4BC and maybe um, in Melbourne too, the Money News Show with the Nine Radio Network. And uh, as I as I tweeted about this, the producer tweeted back and said, guess what we're going to ask you about on Thursday. Oh, no. So uh, so it'll be an interesting conversation. We're recording this on Thursday morning. So he at least knows what I'm going to say, which is I don't know. Yeah. Um, very unsatisfying, I, right? Isn't it? Well, that's very the thing. So unsatisfying. That, and I'm sure he's laughing about it. But he's also thinking, dude, I've got to fill some airtime here. And yeah. can, you at least, can you just have a go? Let's do something so our listeners got something to kind of grab. Well, for, fortunately, if you say yeah. that, there's a hundred people he can ring up. He'll say, this is what's def- that, that'll right, give you a definite, right? And, and, that, and so people like us, you know, are not particularly, you know, valuable contributors in that context. No. And that's why other people will, will be called on instead of us because yeah. I don't know it's not very satisfying or, you know, would you like this company? I don't know. What's it worth? I don't, I don't know. know. Where's yeah. ShareFrost going to be in 12 months? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Why and are you I, here I for? The, you know, I want, yeah, right? I want right. certainty. Yeah. Correct. And that was my point of this rant that I had on on, on all those platforms, on email and, and the website and Facebook, was exactly that. That that sense of we need, we all, we desperately want certainty and we want to believe. It's not even that, it's not even that people necessarily think they want certainty. You don't necessarily say, I'm going to ask Andrew because I know he'll know mm. and therefore when he tells me I'll know the answer and then I can go and do it. It's not that sense, but there is that sense of, I'm, I'm interested in Andrew's view and if he's got a thought, then that might help me. And so maybe I could either agree with that or disagree with that or I could use confirmation bias or at least I had something. Our, our stupid desperation to, I say stupid, I don't mean it in a personal level because it's a it's human trait. It's it's built in a revolution. Um, it's no one's, no one's failing necessarily other than you have to work really hard to try and avoid it. Because that idea of a number in a box, it's why, it's why valuation models work beautifully. Because you can say, this company's worth $5.63. Okay, good. Now I know what the value is. Yeah. As opposed to, well, it's kind of roughly in this sort of range. Well, what good is that to me? I can't use that. Uh, it's, it's, it is the folly of prediction. Um, it gives you a chance to reuse my one of my top five favorite quotes, which is the John Kenneth Galbraith one. Pundits forecast not because they know, but because they're asked, yeah. which I just love. And it's so a million percent true. Um, I'll give you one. I, I, I'll give you one. On, yeah, Speaking of Buffett and Munger, I, I'm going to paraphrase because yeah. I forget the exact wording, but it's sort of like forecasts tell you more about the forecaster than what's, than, <laughs> yeah, than what's going exactly. to happen. My favorite oh, example, so actually, uh, shout out to Shane who tweeted this in the week. It was like the Property tri- Tribune uh, website had mm. um, a prediction from a housing industry body about what's going to happen to prices <laughs> next year. Have a have a wild Let me guess, guess. <laughs> what their forecast was. Do you think it was bullish or bearish? It's like it was bullish. Yeah. Oh, prices are going to rip next year. And it's like, it just it reminded me exactly of that quote of mm. you know mm. like it, it tells you more about the person. Never ask the barber if you need a haircut. Right. Yeah. Never ask yeah. the uh, housing industry body what house prices are going to do. Like <laughs> they're going to go up. Correct. That's what Correct. they're going to do. But what about but, but, but yep. no, they're going to go up, and and yes, yes. it is it is uh, it is so transparent, and yet um, you know it, it seems to resonate. So I guess, and we all we all yeah. we all are trying to take from the buffet those things that will reinforce <laughs> our biases, yes. and uh, you know there's there's a wide array of opinions to choose from. If you if you want to believe X, Y, and Z, you'll find quote unquote evidence for that in terms of at least the other people's views and, and forecasts and that say, see, I knew it because that person said the same kind of thing. 
Correct. And that's and that's the so that's what I just want to I just want to yep. share that listeners. I know we've said it before, we'll say it again. But just this time of year, the, the newspapers get thinner and uh the, we turn a page in the calendar and all of a sudden it's like twenty twenty four. Oh, I know what we'll do. We'll ask all these experts what's gonna happen. Um I feel a little a tiny bit sorry. Not not they get plenty plenty of money. I do feel a little bit sorry for other people and other organizations, mate. I, I said again in that in that piece that as the chief investment officer of a financial services company, it's entirely reasonable that my employer would say to me, you need to put together a forecast pack for next year for when our clients ask. Now, I'm really, really lucky. The Motley Field hasn't asked me to do that. I've also would refuse to do it. So it's also very lucky for me that I don't get fired for doing so. Um, but so I'm in a good place. But if you're a chief economist of any of any bank, um, if you're this sort of person, you, you're, you're paid, as you said, mate, for certainty, or at least to have an, an opinion. Mm-hmm. If you say, I don't know, it's like, well, yeah, well, what do you think? Um, that that temptation to kind of go, well, I guess you are. So I think maybe probably this. Yes. Um, and it's not to say I don't have a hunch about what's going to happen. You know, I've just talked about what might happen with inflation and interest rates and that sort of stuff. It's not that we don't have those. It's it's the idea of a prediction versus a sense of a range of possible outcomes. And that's the that's where it gets insidious because once you have a number, once you have a forecast, you then do things subconsciously or consciously because of that. Yeah. You know, I think this will happen. Okay, well, then I should do that. Yeah. As opposed to, well, I don't know, there's a range of, this could happen, but it might not. And you say, well, okay, I can't use that then. Ironically- the best response from any forecaster is when you go away going, well, I can't use that. It's like, great. That is excellent. Yeah. Because if you start to think, Mark's going to go 20%, housing is going to go up, well, I should, I should buy an investment property then. Or Mark's going to crash, well, I should sell everything then. Yeah. You, when you start to think that as opposed to the forecast is probably wrong. So start there, you know, but you can't do it. You can't. There's a great piece of work I've heard about. I've never actually read the source document, so I assume I'm not parroting a, an urban myth, but I could be, that there was a piece of research done where uh, participants in a, in a study were told something and they're told it wasn't true. And they were asked later and some disturbing number of people, a large minority of people, when asked, said it was true. Yes. Not because they hadn't heard that it wasn't true, just because they'd heard the statement and that statement had embedded itself in their head. The sky is red. That's not true. Mm-hmm. And then someone asked later, was the sky? No, it wasn't. You know, obviously, that's a, that's a silly example. But mm-hmm. that idea of like, so is the sky red? Well, yeah. A, a decent number of people said they thought it was because yeah. they'd heard that statement said. Now, that's... That's why this is so insidious because, and by the way, again, a shout out to people who think they have absolute control over their brains and subconscious. Can I tell you, you really, really don't. And if you think you do, you need to get the hubris checked. Yeah. And I mean that in the lo- most loving possible way. Well, that that, that um, belief is itself a behavioral yes, exactly. bias. Yeah. <laughs> but it's but it's hard, right? It's hard to get rid of. It's like once you think that, how do you how do you, you know, it, it's it's a it's a horribly difficult position to get yourself out of because it's just not true. And if you can't believe it's not true because you don't believe it's true, then you can't open yourself up to the rest of them and you are going to get taken to the cleaners Wow! Um, in all probability. That, I have to put this one forward from a Charlie Munger mm. quote, which I love, <laughs> I love, I love, I love. I, I mean, I, I've just, it's so core to, to everything I do. I started a business based on this, in fact. <laughs> he says, uh, we're always learning, modifying or destroying ideas mm. all the time. Mm. Rapid destruction of your ideas when the time is right is one of the most valuable qualities you can acquire. You must force yourself to consider arguments on the other side, which is just great. I am not entitled to have an opinion on this subject, Charlie says, unless I can state the arguments against my position better than the people do who are supporting it. Only then am I qualified to speak. Isn't that- Love it. Oh, I just yeah. love that. That I, I raise it in response to what you're talking about because that's the salve, right? That's mm-hmm. not. I wouldn't say the cure, but it, it is. It is a mitigating kind of thing, which is because you are going to want to sort of think in that way. But whenever you're trying to sort of invert things, think things through from the other angle seriously, not just pay at lip service. Okay. There's a whole bunch of people who feel the exact opposite way. I'm gonna I'm gonna think through their arguments seriously and in good faith, and then and then and then I can. There's either one. There's one or two possibilities, right? I'm either gonna destroy my idea, which is good because my idea was probably wrong. If I if I've on balance considered both sides and, and come away with it with a different view, or equally valid is I've built stronger conviction. So when the volatility mm. comes, when the uncertainty comes, like no, I've really thought this through. And I'm not going to sell. I've got the diamond hands, right? Not the paper. I'm going to. I'm going <laughs> to hold on. I'm going to buy more, which you're not going to do if you don't have the conviction. So it is. It is Correct. super potent, super powerful. Great one, mate. Um, let's let's keep pushing through. I we had a couple of big business stories this week, and it's worth. I don't. One of my own shares in, but 
and I guess maybe I'm interested in it for that reason instinctively, though you brought it up before I did this morning, so let's uh, let's blame you and, mm-hmm. and suggest I wasn't going to do it. I probably was. Um, Sol Pats, a business we've talked about ad nauseum, almost almost rivaling Kogan for the, the, the drinking game. Um, <laughs> but really, I, I find this – in fact, I asked, the, I asked the Motley Fool investment team this morning on spec, just, hey, guys, what do you reckon about this? And so I want to get your thoughts, Ram, and I'll give some of mine, but – this is a diversified investment house. They've had investments in uh, everything from property. They've got a cross shelving in Brickworks. They've got uh, shares in TPG Telecom. They've got Hope tech Cole. startups in there as well. Yeah, and yeah. My, copper miners and God knows what else. Yeah. They have, um, they have gone in a big, big, big way into funds management. They are, they are and I don't mean big ways in, it's not, it's not meaningfully large for them at the moment, but it was something they weren't in at all effectively. They, They've done some. They, they bought, they, they merged or acquired Milton recently. Oh yeah, uh, this investment company. Yep. They are. They lobbed a three billion dollar bid this week for Perpetual, the fund manager, who recently took over Pendle Group. Uh, they have a majority shareholding or a large minority shareholding. I think it's Pengana. Is that right? I can't remember now. I should know. Don't. Something like that. Um, yep. It's a really interesting. Big change for them as a as a business, and they've always been diversified. They've always had bits everywhere, so no surprise they're doing something new all of a sudden, or, or just every now and again because that's just what you do. But it is interesting that they've gone effectively, you know, neck deep or trying to go neck deep in this thing. Um, Three billion dollars is is <laughs> I don't tell anyone a very very significant chunk of change. Um, it's it's a very new business for them or relatively new business for them. Uh, not so they don't have the, the capacity. It's about a quarter of their market cap. I mean, this is not mm, it's a big this one. Is not small, right? And by the way, that's three billion dollar currently. If there's a, if there's a bidding war, they have to up their stake. It might be three and a half or four billion by the time they get it if they get it at all. Um, I I find this fascinating, mate, and. I'm, I have some thoughts, but I'm not going to share them yet. I'm just going to ask you, why would a company like Solpats, do you reckon, want to be buying or investing or getting into the funds management game? And separately, um, it's a bit like the idea of what will they do or what should they do? Um, so so why would they want to? Secondly, do you think it's a good idea? Would you be counselling Solpats to, to continue down this path or would you say, guys, um, that feels like a lot of money and I'm not sure this industry is the right thing for you? <sighs> I mean, funds management is an insanely profitable business mm-hmm. if you get it right. We we talk a bit about operational leverage and scale advantages. So you know you've mm-hmm. got you've got your stock picking gurus, you've got your admin, you've got you the office and this and that. But whether you're managing two billion or ten billion, the work is kind of the same, right? Like the 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 fixed cost burden there. And you're charging a percentage of funds under management. Well over time like we have bear markets obviously we have we have tough patches, but as you know, you're fond of pointing out with a Vanguard chart, right? Markets tend to rise over time. Assets tend to rise over time. Mm. So uh, as I get bigger and bigger and bigger, and it's largely a distribution game, by the way. It's it's like if you want to have one skill as a fund manager, it's not really stock picking, sort of like the least important skill. It's just distribution, getting getting more people to tip that money. Is so true. Do you know what it's I all mean? Matters. Yep. And yep. and 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 it's kind of interesting when you again you point out the fact that most fund managers most of the time underperform the indices when fees are included. <laughs> yep. But, you know, it, it was because it's a sticky business too. I make mm. a decision, mm. someone throws me some money, it's there forever. <laughs> yeah. It's there I forever. Mean, not too well. we've, seen, we've seen Magellan and others lose a fortune in, in mandates. You can, you can lose some money if you get it wrong, but the, 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 the attractiveness is exactly AMP is another sort of example there potentially <laughs> yes. as well. But yes. And, yes. And, and so, so, so I think that – when you understand the business and you look at that, you go, this is the rivers of gold here. Now, that being said, this probably points to the fact of how poorly managed, in my humble opinion, allegedly, whatever words I need to say to not get in legal <laughs> trouble. Um, <laughs> has been- I, don't think, I don't think you can use that as a defense. I said whatever words I need to say to get not to get in legal trouble. Your Honor. What, how, how could I possibly still be in trouble? Well, Let's look, go with allegedly. I'm go having an opinion, right? And I sue me. I've got an opinion. Um I mean, this, <laughs> this has been a disaster, a train wreck. Ever since the GFC, shares have been heading down, right? Yep. This is like 16 years or something now, more or less, up up and down, up and down, but generally mm-hmm. down. They've, they've never got back to those highs. That isn't a consequence of the market being irrational. Their per share earnings <clears throat> have been falling away as well. They, last year they reported a 6% return on, on their equity. Mm-hmm. Like what do you so – here I am saying it's a wonderful business, right? And it's just like – 
what have you guys done? What have you done? It is it is absolutely uh, diabolical that you you have, you have done that bad with a brand that is so well sort of recognised. Because generally yep. speaking, people look at things like, well, I've never heard of Philips Funds Management. I've definitely heard of Perpetual. <laughs> I'm going to go with Perpetual. Like you know, yeah. it, it counts yeah. for a lot. So I assume like, I'm I have no idea, but I assume the team at Solpats have gone. These guys are in trouble. Oh, you know, they're, they're, they're relatively cheap because of a consequence of what's happening in the market. Maybe they've had some poor fund flows, et cetera. But they've got a good brand. I reckon we could do a better job of that and then we could enjoy <laughs> some of these, these uh, economics when, they, when mm-hmm. they go well. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you've said, I mean, it's not, it's not a slam dunk, right, because Magellan yeah. and others have, have uh, you know, when, when that operating leverage cuts both ways, when mm-hmm. the fund flows go out, and when the when the assets under management fall just by market prices falling and the rest of it, things things compress in 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 the other direction. Um, so it's not a, it's not an easy thing necessarily, but these are also very prudent operators. And I would say just by virtue of the way that they've run their business, their conglomerate would probably suggest they're reasonable capital allocators as well. So I get I get I get the thinking, um, and I guess they've just done the sums and thought what what was it three billion dollar bid. Yeah, uh, shares are trading at two and a half billion dollars of the market cap of perpetual. This 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 seems like a, a um, we can offer a premium and still get a bargain, and this this will pay for itself very quickly if if we get it right. I don't know. I think that's the. I think that's it, mate. I I am only mindful that for everything you've said about the. I I I may. What worries me about funds management is it's one of those businesses where the the, the business model should stack up. The results often don't. It's one of those, you know, one of those when theory and practice, you know, what's Yogi Berra's thing? In theory, there's nothing different between theory and practice, but in practice, there, there is. is yeah. Um, yeah. It's a lovely quote. I should write some of those down. They're such great quotes. Um, only in the sense that we've seen, you know, Platinum lose money, Magellan, and what's that lose money? Lose funds, lose funds under management. If you're Sol Pats and you're buying a business like this, you're kind of betting on the future of the fund, right? And, and to some degree, it's the value of the brand and the, the people who you got working for you and your ability to compensate them and, and have, the, you know, your right distribution is the only thing that matters except it, it's the only thing that matters in both directions and Magellan has found out to its absolute chagrin. Um, I, I did, I did, I, speaking of VT Labs, I will say, uh, I don't think, I don't know if I said publicly, I hope I said on Twitter at some point, um, but basically I said, you know, Magellan sponsored the Ashes at one point, the, the Cricket Ashes. And I remember making the point that Magellan's got no business sponsoring the Ashes, right? This was this was one of those top of the market, top of the whatever's type type things. Yeah. This was a sixty five dollar a share business. Mm. It's now seven dollars eighty three. It's fallen by the best part of ninety percent, maybe it's eighty percent, whatever the number is. Um, no more than that. The 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 fall from grace has been astonishing over the past three years, and so I don't know. I part, part of me thinks Solpats can see the benefit of this if Perpetual has a Magellan moment. You're paying three billion dollars for a business that might be worth conceivably a, a billion dollars, half a billion dollars in in next number of years time. I don't know. It's a, it's it's a just it's a risky bet for me, given you can't the brand is only the brand is only the brand value is only short term mm-hmm. compared to Vegemite or some other you know some other brand even TPG that it owns you know a, a very large chunk of the brand's worth something. It's very hard to wreck, mm-hmm. and customers will walk away very slowly. You're right. The economics is beautiful if you keep the, the business coming or you keep the funds on hand. Mm-hmm. If you don't though, if it goes the wrong way. I, I like Solpats. I own Solpats. I'm not going to tell Rob Milner what to do. He's, he's a very smart cookie. He can make his own calls, right? Todd Barlow, the CEO there, is also a super smart, capable guy. Um, so I'm not saying they shouldn't do it, but I, it is something where I kind of go, this is a, this is not a, um, this is not a heads I win, tails I don't lose much. Mm-hmm. You know, this is one where heads I win a lot, tails I lose quite a bit, and that's just a wider range of outcomes. Now maybe Solpats with a 12 billion dollar market cap should take these risks. Maybe it's exactly what they should do because they've got the business to withstand it. They've, they can absorb volatility, all that kind of thing. As long as that any value destruction that may come at some point isn't permanent, that would be the real concern for me. Yeah, I mean that absolutely. That that is that is the biggest risk. Um, I'm just looking here. I, I dug up their uh, presentation, so they have. Mm. Yeah, fund flows have definitely uh, resulted in their net pat dropping forty two percent in FY twenty three. Oof, oof. And that 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 was uh, after revenue rising thirty two percent. Oof. No thanks, but I mean that's the time right. to strike, yeah. right? That like when, well, that's the other yeah. exactly. If you think it's going to bounce back, that's exactly what you want. Yep. If it doesn't bounce back, of course, you're in a very different position. Yep. 
Yep. So I mean, I, I, I will watch with, with with great interest, but it's it's a risk, it, potentially risky, but potentially with big big reward. I mean, uh, Perpetual's knocked it back anyway. Yes. Um, for now. <laughs> isn't it funny? Well, sometimes goes where who knows what's going to happen. Well, yeah. that's that's right. Isn't it interesting though? Because they go, oh, it materially undervalues the business, and so I was like, well, it's still like uh, you know a lot more than what the market valued the business at as well. That's right. Yes. So, uh, and and what are we looking at here? We're on something like a yield of about 5% or so. It feels about right to me, to be honest. And by the way, the company wasn't buying back its own shares yesterday either before the, before the big came oh, in. Oh, isn't that not, interesting? I mean, not, oh, that's- not they always have the money, but yeah, that, that kind of difference. The market's wrong and undervalues us. Well, if it undervalues you by, well, I don't know what's hats, what's the premium they're bidding, whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, if you think it's worth even more than that and the chance for you to buy back shares at a meaningful discount. By the way, they bought Pendle Group did a takeover there. They could have used that money to buy back their own shares yep. if if the value. Now maybe Pendle was cheaper than Perpetual. Maybe it was still a good deal. It doesn't mean you can't do either. But they 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 chose some capital allocation decisions not that long ago. Yes, that if the shares were that cheap, could have well and truly gone to buying back Perpetual shares you, instead. You just nailed it, sir. That is the question to ask at the AGM. If shares are so materially undervalued, <laughs> why were you not buying them back? I, I would love to hear yes. the answer. Like, what's the answer? Yes. Now, by the way, it's also possible they're right and the shares aren't devalued and, and just because they weren't buying them back doesn't mean they're right to sell out at a cheap price necessarily. No, if the, but, if this but they, worth, but they are worth clearly poorly allocating cap. Like, you know, it's that Correct. much undervalued. Yes. It's just like it's you either can't have exactly. it by its ways. It's like, well, you're <laughs> right to reject the offer, yes. but you're yes. still In which case, completely, you, were, you know, what are, right. what are you being paid these incredible board fees for if if not for to, to, to ensure the, the prosperity of shareholders? And here you've got an opportunity to pick up shares and, and do the opposite of dilution at a bargain. It's going to create incredible value. It's yeah. very interesting, isn't it? Uh, the, the cynic in me often thinks too, and again, <laughs> I, I, I say this mostly tongue-in-cheek, not entirely, but a little bit. But, I was going to say not much, yeah. But, but <laughs> you know, boards don't like to vote themselves out of a job. Yeah. You know, and so the board, they're going, yes, we should totally take this. It's like, well, <laughs> wait a sec. Does that mean that – do I lose my – yeah, you, we don't need you after this deal yeah. is done. Like, uh, oh, yeah. So I don't get to, yeah. you know. Now, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm sure they're very noble characters that put their the interests of their representatives ahead of mm-hmm. themselves in, in a lot of cases, but it's got to be a factor, right? Yeah. It's all the last thing I will say in this one too, mate, is, is for all of that we just said, there is also a dance to be danced. Yes. Which is yes. no takeover target accepts the first offer because why would you? Yes, done. Sold. You know, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But Whoa, oh, I would have offered you quick. more if you'd hung around. You were very exactly. quick to say yes. Now, sometimes I don't come back, right? So it's yeah. always it's always, a, it's always a dance. But, uh, but, but you know, in the front page of, you know, Director 101, uh, they, they, you know, always lock back the first offer and hope they come back with a bigger one. Yes. It's just rule number one. That's so true. That's the, true. there's always a bit of a dance here too. Maybe they are prepared to sell out. They're just desperately trying to get an extra 5 or 6% so they can. Here's the other thing. They get to say they did their job, right? So when they do lose their jobs, yep. they say, well, I managed perpetual. Look what I got for shareholders. Yes. So I can might be doing the same for you. It's, you know, let, let's talk. It's, um, it's, a funny, it's a funny old game. Yeah, yeah. Hey, um, mate, will you come back on Sunday? Yeah, I'd love to. I think I already have, haven't I? I was going to say the best thing is that you go to because we've already recorded it. We are heads up for, for our listeners. I'm going away uh, next week uh, in the US for a week for work. So um, we've got a couple of pre-recorded episodes coming up and we did. We changed the order of recording this week a little bit. So uh, we so will be back next week. to be uh, there. Yeah. But in the meantime, well, that's assume I don't screw up getting the files to the good people at Listener. That's they possible. don't screw up getting them on the pod machine. So let's assume good Lord willing the creeks don't rise. We'll both be here on Sunday. Until then, enjoy the first half of your weekend and full on. Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691.